helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. This is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Paul Engel. Hello there, Everyday Americans. Paul Engel here with the Constitution Study, where we read and study the Constitution to teach rising generation to be free. Hey, have you heard the saying that there are three types of lies, lies, darn lies, and statistics? It's meant to convey the general idea that numbers don't always mean what they appear to mean. But I learned early in my IT career that numbers don't lie, people do. It's one of the reasons why, here at the Constitution Study, I am not trying to be right on top of the latest news. I like to let things percolate for a day or two, just so we can hear, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. And I want to take a look today at some examples of, well, the waiting to get the rest of the story showing that the numbers didn't mean what people told us they do. And again, it's not the numbers that lie. It's people who are doing the lying. So let's start with with, uh, the jobs numbers. Now, we've heard a lot about the jobs numbers. And, and, you know, at first glance, the job numbers seems to be, well, there's good news and there's bad news. Uh, For example, the uh, unemployment rate is low. Uh, That's generally a good idea. However, the labor participation rate is low as well. Now, that's important because when they talk unemployment numbers, the unemployment number they almost always talk about deals with people who are actually looking for a job. If you've given up looking for a job, you're not counted as employed. If you're not, that's why the the labor participation rate is, is so important. If people aren't participating in the job market, then they don't count towards unemployment, but they still consume. Now, some of these people may be uh, uninvolved because they've retired. Right? They've, um, they, they, they've, they, you know, they, maybe they retired early, but they have, they've worked a, a career and they're done. Some may be, uh, be unavoidable because they've looked for work for so long and they've just given up. They'll just live off the dole because they've given up on finding a job that, well, that they're, they're um, that, that'll pay what they would pay if by living off of welfare. We've been growing a third class of people who can't be bothered to work. They are supported not so much by the state, but by family and delaying actually developing a career. Uh, yes, it has very serious long-term impacts because it, it impacts the, the long-term viability, but the, uh, uh, the, the stereotype of, you know, some Twenty-something, living in his parents' basement, uh, playing video games and eating junk food. It's there for a reason, but it's important that we understand when we're looking at these numbers that um, we we take into consideration the context, which brings me to the latest uh, uh, output from the Bureau of Labor and Statistics. I'm sorry, the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And as I said. I like to wait for the whole story to come out. So, for example, um, every month, the uh, Bureau of Labor of Labor Statistics uh, issues a report where they say how many new jobs, how many new jobs were created, how many new jobs were filled, and as well as the unemployment rate. 
And if you look at all of them, of course, these are always promoted. Oh, this was this was great. It's a good number. Or, well, it was good, but it wasn't as good as we had hoped. Or it's far below what we expected. And, of course, there's a lot of hype around that. And I tend to spend very little time concerned in that. But here's an interesting number for you. So the the um, what they call the initial estimate of the monthly job growth reports from 2023 total 3.14 million jobs throughout 2023. 3.14 new million jobs, and I'm you know Joe Biden has said, see, 3.1 new million million new jobs. That's great. That's wonderful. But it's you have to remember that oh, generally about a month or so after the initial reports, they come out with the adjusted numbers. So, for example, um, they revised down the number uh, uh, for the end of twenty twenty three by four hundred forty three thousand jobs. They also announced, by the way, that the August revision that that, that in August there was a vision for unemployment for March that took out another three hundred six thousand jobs so the numbers you were told well there were estimates and they adjusted they they corrected them but they corrected them after the fact now why is that important well guess which number made the front page of the news or the home page of the website it was the 3.14 million new jobs it was not the uh 700 almost 750,000 jobs that were subtracted from that number um, later in the year. And according to EJ Antoni, who's a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation, um, if you add up all the revisions, roughly one quarter of all the jobs that we thought were added last year well, were revised away. In other words, roughly almost 25% of the new jobs that were touted in the news that, again, Joe Biden is using to say, see, you want to keep me around because Bidenomics works, were fictitious. It's not that they were, it's not so much that there was a, they were a lie. It was the estimates. Well, let's just face it. These estimates are almost always revised down, which means the, the model they use to estimate tends to bias a higher number. Now, why do you think a politician, a, a political group, a bureaucracy like the Bureau of Labor Statistics would bias their numbers on the high side and then revise them back later. Well, they're a political organ. They're part of the government. They're part of the executive branch. Um, don't you think they'd want to make their boss look good? I would think they'd want to make their boss look good. So I'm not I'm not saying there's necessarily some a Machiavellian, you know, some guy with a long mustache going Wah! behind this. I'm saying it's a it's a culture thing. You want to make your boss look good, so these numbers tend to bias high. But there's another thing we need to consider when you look at these numbers. Take December of 2023 for example. The BLS reported 216,000 jobs added in the month of December. But 52,000 of those jobs, or almost a quarter of those jobs, were actually um, government jobs. Now, why is that important? Because government doesn't produce anything. Government is a consumer of our net wealth, not a producer of net wealth. The government doesn't make anything that makes us money. It consumes. 
That's all it does. But if think about it, there's at this point, the number of government employees, according to the BLS, is up to 23 million employees. That's the highest ever. So what we see is even when the job is growing, okay, these are jobs, but these jobs are funded by taking money away from otherwise productive gains, whether that be the employment of people actually, oh, I don't know, making something or, or doing something productive, or just the ability of a business to invest, to, to reinvest in its own infrastructure, upgrades, new tooling, new products, whatever. We see a couple of things when we look at these numbers. At least I do. The first thing I see is I see a government tends to bias numbers high because it's easier to ask forgiveness than it is to ask permission. You know, if, if they were to say bias low, right? So let's say that um, instead of, of uh, was it 306,000, uh, I'm sorry, no, four, instead of four, 443,000 jobs fewer than they reported, Imagine that um, they actually said, no, sorry, we came in short. There are actually 300, I'm sorry, 443 jobs more than we reported. Well, gee, that'd be interesting, but not nearly have the same impact. It's a, it, it's a marketing ploy. It, it's a marketing deal. And really, are we surprised that the government is marketing itself to the American people to justify its existence? Now, there's another area where numbers, statistics, um, have been used to lie to the American people. We were told that COVID-19 was a deadly disease, and oh my God, if we didn't throw all the rules out and experiment on the human population, we were all going to die. Um, of course, the data showed nothing like that sort of death rate. The The death rate, the overall death rate was, was at 0.06%, um, and the Really, the only demographics that were truly in, in, at any real risk were the elderly and those with certain underlying conditions like, um, you know, diabetes and respiratory issues. But yet we were experimented on and, and it was pushed and shoved and it's still being prodded. We're, I saw an article the other day. The AARP is recommending that its members get the eighth, yes, eighth COVID shot. Well, Again, let's look at some of the numbers. See, the um, Senator Johnson has uh, and his staff have been, they've been pressing the CDC for information. And in his latest request, his latest letter, um, he asked if they were aware of some new studies about the uh, safety concerns with the COVID nineteen. And in that letter, they made an interesting statement. He said using the midpoint assumption that 70% of distributed flu vaccines were administered, the 25.5 deaths per million dose of the COVID vaccine represents a 55-fold increase over the flu vaccine deaths per million doses. This is a shocking difference and only adds to the growing evidence of safety signals that are screaming to be taken seriously. See, numbers often need to be put into context. So uh, uh, that's why, you know, sometimes when you look at numbers, um, if you don't understand the context, they, you don't really understand what they're saying. Now, I read a little bit of this letter, and as I understand it, so one of the things, we don't know exactly how many flu doses were given. Uh, we know how many were produced, 
and his staff made some assumptions about um, uh, how many of those doses were used. They assumed, listen, if 70% of the um, flu vaccine doses distributed were actually injected into somebody, they have a death that they had a death rate of now, there's another area where numbers statistics um have been used to lie to the american people we were told that covid-19 was a deadly disease and oh my god if we didn't throw all the rules out and experiment on the human population we were all going to die um of course the data showed nothing like that sort of death rate the the death rate the overall death rate was was at 0.06% um and the really the only demographics that were truly in, in at any real risk were the elderly and those with certain underlying conditions like um, you know diabetes and respiratory issues but yet we were experimented on and and it was pushed and shoved and it's still being prodded we're i saw an article the other day the AARP is recommending that its members get the eighth yes eighth covid shot well Again, let's look at some of the numbers. See, the um, Senator Johnson has uh, and his staff have been, they've been pressing the CDC for information. And in his latest request, his latest letter, um, he asked if they were aware of some new studies about the uh, safety concerns with the COVID nineteen. And in that letter, they made an interesting statement. He said using the midpoint assumption that 70% of distributed flu vaccines were administered, the 25.5 deaths per million dose of the COVID vaccine represents a 55-fold increase over the flu vaccine deaths per million doses. This is a shocking difference and only adds to the growing evidence of safety signals that are screaming to be taken seriously. See, numbers often need to be put into context. So uh, uh, that's why, you know, sometimes when you look at numbers, um, if you don't understand the context, they, you don't really understand what they're saying. Now, I read a little bit of this letter, and as I understand it, so one of the things, we don't know exactly how many flu doses were given. Uh, we know how many were produced, and his staff made some assumptions about um, uh, 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 how many of those doses were used? They assumed, listen, if 70% of the um, flu vaccine doses distributed were actually injected into somebody, they have a death, that they had a death rate of uh, 0.46 deaths per million doses. Meaning with the assumption that 70% of the uh, doses it, uh, created were administered, roughly, there was roughly one death per two million doses or half a death per, uh, for every million doses roughly compare that to covid according to vares covid deaths represent there were 25.5 million i'm sorry deaths per million doses 25.5 deaths per million doses another way of looking at those numbers right if you got a flu shot your chances of dying related to the flu shot is 0.00005%, all right? That's what, uh, uh, 50 ten thousandths of a, of a percent. Pretty, pretty minuscule, I must say. Now, if you got a COVID shot, your chance of dying are 0.0025%. 
Now, that's still a pretty small number. That's why people aren't dropping like flies every time they, they get the shot. But it is quite significantly greater than a flu shot. In fact, it's more than 550 times greater than a flu shot. Now, again, that's where you've got to put the numbers into context. Should you be terrified that you're going to die because you took a COVID shot? If it's not happened yet, you're probably okay. But it should bring into question the safety of these injections. Uh, safety that was, I won't say completely thrown to the wind, but certainly the, the safety regime for, for the COVID shots was nothing like the safety regime for other, other medications, other treatments that uh, the FDA approves. And we got to understand the numbers. Because if you're going to make a decision about what you stick in your body, you have to know the numbers, you have to understand the numbers. Otherwise, you're basically playing um, pin the tail on the donkey with your life. All right, listen, I have to take a break. I am running actually a little bit long. Uh, before I go, though, you know, one of the places I go every day for news and information is AmericaOutloud.news. It's where I collect information for this program and the other work that I'm going. It's one of several places. But it's a great place to go. It's why I recommend you go every day to see what's going on. Then I want you to find something interesting, a story or a video, maybe an article or a podcast that says something important, something you articulate something in a way you've never done it before, but really made it understandable and share it. It doesn't have to be a big deal. You don't have to have your own mailing list. But if you share it with your friends, you share it with your family, you post it on social media, regardless of how big a following you have, by taking that information and sharing it, exposing other people to the information, you do more than share stories from AmericaOutloud.news. You're actually helping to secure the blessings of liberty. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system becomes less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to AmericaOutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus-hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. 
Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. If you joined the Constitution Study, I'm glad you did. Today we're talking about the fact that numbers don't lie, people do. You know, I'm good with numbers. I understand them. I comprehend them. Uh, but I understand that not everybody does. And when you start dealing with very large numbers, people have a really hard time dealing with them. They also have a problem with really small numbers as well. Now, recently the uh, we had the big, oh, we're not going to have a government shutdown because the House came to a, uh, a, a deal. The House and Senate came to a deal to um, to fund the government until the end of 2024. I'm going to hedge on that because in reading this, um, do you remember at the end of last year, uh, uh, Speaker Johnson made the deal where they'll deal with half the budget in January and half in February? So I don't know if they mean they're going to fund the January half through the end of the year or if they're going if, if this handles both halves. And I also don't know if they mean the end of the fiscal year, which ends September 30th or not. There's a little bit of stuff in there that I haven't been able to track down. But I want to look at the numbers because the numbers are important. So Speaker Johnson announced that the spending limit, the spending that they're putting in place is $1.59 trillion. Say 1.6 just to make the numbers easy. $1.6 trillion. That's a lot of money. And in fact, for most people, it's hard to even comprehend how much money that is. But it's it, it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of money. By the way, that's not all the spending the government does. There is other spending that uh, that happens, kind of off book or or out of the budgetary process. But we'll use his numbers. One point five nine trillion dollars. That's a lot of money. Okay, but they said, guess what? We came up with twenty billion dollars in savings. That 20, saving $20 billion, or I should say tax cuts in spending, $20 billion, that's a lot of money. But let me point out a couple things. Um, first of all, when they talk about uh, cuts, they don't really talk about cuts. Government cuts are, are rarely, if ever, actually cuts. So let's take a look at this. The, the federal government last year spent $6.13 trillion. That's what makes me think of the, 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 the 1.59 is for the half that they, remember they split the baby in, in, uh, in last year, it's the half that uh, they were dealing with in January. So we're going to go through this all over again. And, they're gonna, and again, I've, I've seen it. They don't, you know, they've got a lot of off-budget stuff, off-book stuff that they spend money on. So that's not to say there was not some good news. So, for example, again, I said in 2023, the federal government spent $6.1 trillion. It's down from 2022, where they spent almost $6.5 trillion. Oh, the spending went down. That's great, Paul. Well, yeah, but their revenue also came down because there was a deficit. See, in, in 2022, the, the federal deficit was $1.38 trillion. The federal government spent $1.38 trillion more than it took in. Now, in 2023, when spending went down, guess what? Well, they spent one, they have a $1.7 trillion deficit. The deficit actually went up. Okay, so what I'm saying is there's, there's a lot of numbers, and I don't want to confuse people with the numbers, but here's what I want you to, um, to glean from all of this. 
So if this this twenty billion dollars that they save, and and I always get a little nervous about about cuts because in 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 federal budgetary language, a cut is when you you don't increase your spending as much as you thought you would. So for example, um, let's say uh, uh, let's say you you your your job you make fifty thousand um, dollars a year, right? And uh, well, actually, let's do it the other way. Let's say you spend fifty thousand dollars a year. By the time you know you have groceries and and mortgages and everything, you spend fifty thousand dollars last year. Now you plan to spend sixty thousand dollars this year, but you really only spend fifty five thousand dollars. In federal budgetary language, you cut your spending by five thousand dollars, even though you spent five thousand dollars more than you did the year before. That's Again, it's not the numbers that are lying, it's the people that are lying. So the first thing I did is I said, all right, well, let's take a look at some of these numbers. So if I take that $20 billion that was saved by the uh, recent budget deal, and I compare it to the $1.59 trillion that they are going to spend in this deal, do you know what I come up with? That's a a roughly 1.25% savings. In other words, the the $20 billion cut is a a small fraction of the overspending. And if I take it, you know, if we we if our deficit last year was $1.7 trillion, again, we're talking about roughly less than a percent, or, or roughly a percent of the um overspending, the money we the money we had to borrow, we're gonna take, we're gonna borrow one percent less. That's like saying, hey, I'm going to buy a house for $100,000, which is a pretty cheap house nowadays. But you know what? I got a deal. I'm only going to have to borrow 99000 No, I'm only going to have to borrow $99,900 to buy my million-dollar house. <laughs> That's the type of rounding hair they use for... Uh, uh, marketing deals, you know, why, why everything is, you know, something that it's always 99 cents or 95 cents. It's a marketing ploy. These numbers mean not much has changed. Sure. It's being touted, but if you look at the, at the rest of the story, if you look at everything else that's going on, um, guess what? Nothing has changed. Not significantly. The, the, the savings are minuscule. The the and again, this is what they're promising to spend. We can't wait to see what they actually spend. My guess is that fiscal twenty twenty four is going to be just as bad with a margin of error of of a couple of percent as twenty twenty three was because they haven't learned. No one holds them accountable for their fiscal mismanagement. If you were a a a financial manager, if you were response, if you were a treasurer. At a, at your at your business, if you were responsible for the finances that you and you treated your company's money like that, you'd be fired. If you were a business owner and you treated your finances like that, the government would come after you for fraud. But again, if you're the federal government, you can do darn near whatever you want, because the American people never seem to want to hold their elected officials accountable because they're getting the money. As long as they keep throwing money at us, what was it? Uh, was it Alexis de Tocqueville said? 
um, the republic will exist until Congress realizes it can bribe the people with their own money. And while we're speaking about money, let's take just a slight detour because we're going to talk about numbers as part of this because that's our general theme. But uh, um, in Europe, they don't have the freedoms we do here in America, at least that we still do. We haven't given up yet. And they've got a lot more control over their financial system, and they are moving towards a digital euro. Now, there was an interview with, um, I think her name is Christine Lagarde, and she's apparently somewhere in the in the financial system in 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 the in, in Europe, and she was asked a question about the the digital euro and um, how it will deal with some of their problems. And introducing the electronic euro, as I know. Yeah. So, yeah. How can I? Um, how can switching to an electronic currency help? Now we have in Europe this threshold above one thousand euros, you cannot pay cash. If you do, you are on the grey market. So you take mm -hmm. your risk. You get caught, you are fined, or you go in jail. Okay. So in Europe. Uh, you cannot buy anything for more than a thousand euros without the government keeping track of it. The government has to know because you can't pay cash. Now, th th they say, listen, if you get caught, you can try, but if you get caught, you're going to get fined and you can go to jail for buying something perfectly legal, but without actually letting the government know about it, which is, again, part of the reason they, they want to go to this uh this digital or this electronic euro but you know the, the the digital euro is going to have a limited amount of control there will be control you're right you're completely right mm -hmm. we are considering whether for very small amounts you know anything that is around 300 400 euros we could have a mechanism where there is zero control so think about it uh, the digital euro, which is just another you know central bank digital currency, is about control. It's about the government knowing and controlling what you do with what they consider to be their money. Notice that, well, listen, we might put in a mechanism where if it's only a few hundred euros, we won't track you, but that'll be our decision whether or not you can go about your business without the government tracking everything you say. But it, and we might. This is all about control. And while she's dealing with the minutia of, well, it's numbers, right? It's numbers. It's about control. It's about control of the people. Now, listen to the other little spin she puts in to scare people into thinking this is a good idea. But that could be dangerous. The terrorist attacks on France uh, back uh, 10 years ago were entirely financed by those very small anonymous credit cards that you can recharge in total anonymity. Allowing the people to, to spend their money without uh, control from government is dangerous. Do you realize that there were people that actually used these small transactions that they use these credit cards that were completely anonymous we didn't know anything about them and 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 they they used it as as terrorists and they they hurt people how many times were those credit cards used for perfectly legal things how many people simply said i don't want the government knowing whether it's because they were embarrassed whether they they're just 
mad at that government being in control of everything, the very idea of people being free to use their, their funds the way they want is dangerous to the very idea of, of, of the people controlling the, um, the European currency. But Paul, they'll never bring, they'll never get that way here. Oh, really? They're already pushing the digital dollar. And while they're saying today, well, it'll be voluntary. How long before voluntary becomes mandatory? How long did a voluntary vaccine become a mandatory vaccine? It's the same thing. And it's all about control. It's all about making sure that the government knows what it is spying on what their people are doing and controlling what their people are doing. Now, I, I, I've never been to Europe. I don't, I've never lived in Europe. I don't know their attitudes. I know when I look at this, my answer is it's time to stock up on gold and silver because it's none of your business. If these people were terrorists, it's you saying the only way we could have caught these people is by knowing every dollar spent or every euro spent by every person, period, then you're not doing your job right. If these, that's part of the problem. They use these, these, uh, these activities, these black swan events to scare you into giving up your essential liberties. And what did Benjamin Franklin say? Those who will give up essential liberty for the promise of a temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor security. That's came right out of the European Union, and they're doing it here. They're pushing for the, the digital dollar. They want to control everything. Hey, they guess what? They already pushed to control the power meter that controls how much power goes into your house. They're pushing to control every aspect of your life. It's not the numbers that matter. It's not whether it's 1,000 euros or 200 euros or half a euro. It's the idea that the government has a legitimate reason to track what you're doing to keep you safe. Now, that may be the way European democracies work, but we live in a constitutional republic here in the United States, which says, no, the government has no permission to track you. They are prohibited from an unreasonable search into your life, including what you spend your money on. You find somebody who is a danger, you have probable cause that they are conducting illegal activity, you investigate and you track the person with, that you have probable cause. The European Union and the FBI and the DOJ have flipped that whole concept up on its head and said, no, we are going to track everything to find out the to find the people that are doing something wrong. That's the difference. It's why I say we are not a democracy. We are a constitutional republic. And that's part of the reason why is the Constitution supersedes whatever these nincompoops in D.C. can come up with. See, they learned their lesson through COVID. If they simply scare us enough, most people will let the government do whatever it wants. That's how he ended up with the lockdowns, the shutdowns, the, co the, the, the vaccine mandates. It's how we turned the American people, and in fact, we turned the world population into a bunch of medical guinea pigs. That's why we have things like the COVID, the, the, pro the spike protein shedding, long COVID, whether you, to the point where whether you got the, uh, uh, the, 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 the shot or not, the so-called vaccine, 
you've probably been exposed to the spike protein. It's inflammatory. It's extremely toxic. It is dangerous. And a lot of people are concerned because they are susceptible to it. Well, guess what? The people at the wellness company have come up with a solution. It's called spike support. It helps your body deal with and, and get rid of the spike protein. So whether it's, again, the vaccine or you got COVID, it helps shed it. Now, this is supported by, and backed by documented research. The product is gluten-free. It's non-GMO. It's vegetarian. It's manufactured right here in the United States, and it's vetted by the chief medical board of the wellness company. Now, as an America Out Loud listener, you can get 25% off of your products and your first month of membership at the wellness company. Just use the code OUTLOUD. Get all the details at americaoutloud.shop. But make sure, check out the wellness company. They've got some really great products. And if you try them, if you use them, or if you decide to sign up for their membership, make sure to use that code out loud. Again, find all the details at americaoutloud.shop. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. With the rise of independent media, we are now AmericaOutloud.news. For the genius of the United States is not found in its executives or legislatures, nor its ambassadors, authors, colleges, or churches, nor even in its newspapers or inventors. The genius of the United States is we the people. AmericaOutloud.news. Liberty and justice for all. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Today's high-stress, on-the-go lifestyle makes it hard to stay heart-healthy. Lifestyle changes like exercise and diet are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support three aspects of heart health, cholesterol, blood pressure, and triglycerides, with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill, it's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients. You would need to take 13 pills to get the same amount of nutrients in each gel pack. And these great-tasting gels come in a small packet. Tear off the top, shoot it down, or mix it in water. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You've rejoined the Constitution Study. And we're, today we're talking about the fact that numbers don't lie, people do. And to be honest, numbers aren't the only thing people, people use to, to lie with. There's a lot of other things. I want to take a bit of a detour today and let's, let's look at this question of um, apply, energy efficient appliances. 
you've heard about uh, the Biden administration's attempt to deal with dishwashers and washing machines and 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 whatnot. Um, well, a, a recent decision by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, um, well, kind of going to put the slow on that one, going to slow it down a bit. See, 11 states sued the federal government over the Department of Energy's imposition of new energy and water efficiency standards. Now, specifically, apparently the complaint dealt with the fact that um, the, they, they claimed that the, the regulations were arbitrary and capricious. Now, those words are important because under the Administrative Procedures Act, um, well, agencies are prohibited from issuing regulations that are arbitrary and capricious. Arbitrary meaning they're not based in some sort of fact and data of a need. They're simply, we just pick the number out of the hat. Capricious meaning, well, they are designed to attack certain industries, people, ideas, whatever. Now, that's also going to be important, but I'm going to hold on to that for just a second. So going back to the, um, <clears throat> to the opinion, uh, we read, but even if DOE has water usage authority over the relevant appliances, right? We stop right there. The very idea that they have a Department of Energy is unconstitutional because regulating energy is not a power delegated to the United States. They try to skirt this. Well, we're only regulating these things because they, they might travel through interstate commerce. They might impact interstate commerce. The problem is you're not regulating interstate commerce. You're regulating products. You're regulating energy. And that's not a power delegated to the United States. Therefore, the Congress, it was neither necessary nor proper for Congress to pass the law that created the Department of Energy, much less claim to endow it with power to exercise a power not delegated to the United States. That means that that act was void. That means all the money spent through the Department of Energy, it was embezzled from the American people. And in fact, uh, the, the, you're dealing with embezzlement, bribery, and extortion. And this is just the latest example. So, you know, the, the whole idea that, and this is why I say it's important that you know what your rights are. It's why you t I say you should read the Constitution, because I will pretty much guarantee you, since this came out of state governments, lawyers decided that the problem was DOA was being, the DOE was being uh, arbitrary and capricious. The lawyers didn't realize, wait a second, the DOE does not legally exist because the, the uh, act that created it is void. By the way, those aren't my words. That comes from uh, Alexander Hamilton in Federal's Paper 78. It comes from the court cases of Marbury versus Madison, Ex parte Siebold, Shelby v. Norton, Norton v. Shelby County. All of them said an unconstitutional act is void. It's as if it didn't exist. So, you know, I, I would love to have seen, uh, say, one of the uh, attorneys or one of the people at the state saying, hey, wait a second, why are we arguing on this minutia? How about we just say, you know what? How about we point out the DOE doesn't legally exist? Therefore, we're not going to pay any attention to these regulations, and we will arrest anybody that, that deprives our citizens of their rights to be at liberty from, a, an, a, a, from an agency that doesn't legally exist. But I know I'm radical. I actually believe the Constitution means what it actually says. So back. So even if the DOE water usage uh, authority over the relevant appliances, the department failed to adequately consider the negative consequences of the repeal rule, including the substitution effects 
of energy and water uh, wasting, rewashing, pre-washing, and hand washing. So in other words, they didn't say the problem is the DOA doesn't legally exist, that, that this is tyrannical, that this is that the very idea of a DOE is arbitrary and capricious. Listen, when the DOE put these rules, they didn't think of um, the fact that, guess what? Okay, you tell them, you tell people you have to, to replace your dishwasher with this dishwasher, but that dishwasher doesn't work so well, which means sometimes you have to rewash your dishes because it didn't get them clean the first time, or you have to pre-wash them before you put them in the dishwasher. Or you're just going to hand wash them because we're not spending money to get another one of these dishwashers because of some stupid regulation. The opinion went on, uh, in promulgating the repeal rule, DOE stated that its energy cons conservation program must promote water conservation and regulate water use, but it is unclear how or why DOE thinks it has any statutory authority to regulate water use in dishwashers and washing machines. I would, I still say why they even exist. It is unclear how or why the DOE even exists. But then again, guess what? I've read the Constitution, which means I understand this. I know what my rights are. I know how to defend and assert them. Have you? When you saw this, was your first thought going, wait a second, why does the DOE exist? Why not get to the root of the problem? The root of the problem is not an arbitrary and capricious regulation. That's a symptom. That's a symptom of an out-of-control government that has gone far beyond its delegated authority. The problem is agencies like the DOE exist. Therefore, the solution is not to, you know, if you have, um, uh, if you have poison ivy in your yard, you don't trim the edge of the plant. You kill it at the root. You chop the whole, you, you cut the entire ivy down, you rip it off, you poison it, you do whatever you can to get rid of it. You don't trim around the edges. Now listen, the court, I believe, came to the proper conclusion that the DOE does not have statutory authority. Because even if even if the Congress passed such statutory authority, it would be an unconstitutional act. It would be therefore void. So a lot of people are praising, yay, we got this decision. Okay, yeah, we got a decent decision. But we only got a piece of the apple. You didn't kill the you didn't kill the poison ivy. You simply trimmed off a few leaves. So let's not uh uh kid ourselves. Let's not lie to ourselves that this is some big pushback over the the deep state or the administrative state. This was a not even a kick in the shins. Now is the DOE going to appeal this to the Supreme Court? Will the Supreme Court take it? There's a whole lot of stuff. How about we just go back to the beginning, go back to the root and say, guess what? DOE, you don't legally exist. And rather than worrying about, well, you know, the courts might not go along with that. I don't care. Remember, the states created the federal government, including federal courts. The Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals is a creation of Congress, which is a creation of the Constitution, which was created by the states. Yes, we the people ordained and established it, but it was ratified by the states. All the states have to do is grow the backbone to say, no, we didn't authorize a DOE, we didn't authorize a DOE, much less this nonsense. This is invalid within our state, and anybody that attempts to enforce it will be find or we will be charged with a crime i'm sure i could i'm sure there, there's got to be 
uh, well, it's a federal crime, right? Because you're depriving someone of liberty without due process of law. Think of it this way. You have a dish, you, you want to buy a dishwasher. Whatever dishwasher the DOE doesn't like, pick whatever. You should be at liberty to buy that dishwasher without federal government interference. They've got no legal authority to interfere. Therefore, to interfere with it is to deprive you of the liberty to purchase the dishwasher that you determine is the best suit for you without due process and that they have not protected your rights. They haven't gone through a process that shows they even have the authority to do this. See, that's a criminal act, is it not? Therefore, the states can simply say, hey, you try to enforce that rule here, we will arrest you. Now, the biggest problem is the corporations that make these dishwashers, um, they're cowards. They, they, they have no, they have, they see no benefit in protecting your rights. So they'll do whatever the feds tell them to do because they don't want to deal with the legal issues. Guess what? You find a company that actually would stand up, maybe you'd, you'd, you'd buy their dishwasher because they're the only ones that will give you a good dishwasher that does the job without having to pre-wash, rewash, and wash three times. That company might actually make a profit. You know, kind of like every time people try to boycott Chick-fil-A and the lines get longer because more people go to Chick-fil-A. I don't know. All right, I want to shift gears a little bit because, again, we're coming to the lie. See, you want more proof that the Biden administration, and in fact, the entire Democratic Party, is a Marxist organization? Guess what they've been doing? They've been taking down statues. It's a hallmark of all the communist revolutions, is right, is that you tear down the statues. Well, now they're coming for William Penn. William Penn was a, a 17th century aristocrat. He was a, a, a writer and a very influential Quaker. He founded Pennsylvania back in, in 1681. Now, today there is a park located on what where it was once called his home, and uh, they, they named it Welcome Park after the, the ship that carried him to America. And on this park, in this park, is a statue to William Penn. And for some reason, and then, well, let me say for some reason, um, the Biden administration, their their uh, uh, was it the Department of the Interior, I forget. They they they're going to take down the uh, the statue so they can reimagine how the uh, you know how to to uh, in, you know interpret and, and expand the interpretation of Native American history. They're going to take down the historical monument and they're going to come up with a new version of history, a new historical monument that tells history the way they want. Ladies and gentlemen, that is how communists work. We take down the, the things we don't, that remind people of the stuff we don't want them to know, and we put up statues and monuments to, for what we do want them to know. Now, they came for the Confederates, and, well, a lot of people were a little queasy about defending Confederates, even though there were some very important historical people in those. And, and of course, I, I love when they came for the, um, the statue of, um, of Lincoln freeing a slave because the slave was getting up off his knees. Uh, but now they're coming for William Penn. A, a by the way, a, an abolitionist, but oh no, we got to reimagine this. Well, William Penn apparently was a, a step too far. 
So the National Park Service, they've kind of withdrawn. They said, maybe, maybe we're going to come up with a new plan about uh, about the, the 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 welcome park maybe we won't take down Penn's statue from his own home now why did they relent apparently they got a lot of pushback there were a lot of people that uh were were not happy with uh, the park services plan to remove the statue of William Penn from the site of his Philadelphia home and they changed their mind again why is that important what I keep saying, know what your rights are, be prepared to defend and assert them. They started with, let's complain. The city complained, I think. The states complained. People complained. That's the first step. But the it, when, it's not simply enough to complain. I contend you want to complain with the best argument possible. And to me, that argument is, you've got no authority to do this. Where does the federal government own a park? Show me where in the Constitution is the federal government allowed to own parks? They can hold own forts and magazines and dockyards and, and other needful buildings, but not a park. And to take down, to attempt to erase our history, to replace it with something else, is a communist action. You, you might as well, you know, what, you're going to replace William Penn with a statue of Lenin? They probably wouldn't, but that's the type of that's what we're talking about is the 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 changing of our history, the rewriting of our history. We saw it in in uh, CRT. We see it in the the removal of statues. We rewrite our history, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And you remember uh, what Santayana said: those who refuse to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. That would include the very worst aspects of Marxism, Leninism, and Maoism. So where does that leave us? The fact is, numbers don't lie, but people do. They lie about the numbers, they lie with the numbers, and they lie about things that aren't numbers at all. It's why I keep telling people, it, it's the very first thing I teach in my Patriots boot camp, to know what the truth is to recognize what's going on. I remember I say, it's only an opinion until there's proof. Well, the problem with, with that is um, you got to make sure the proof is real. It's why I say you go back to the original documents. It's why I say you double check your facts. It is true that uh, you know, the BLS reported uh, 3.1 million new jobs in 2023, but that's not the entire truth. The rest of the story is nearly a quarter of them never really existed. They were guesstimates that were wrong. Oh, that means that the, the monthly numbers you hear from BLS, they're estimates, they're guesstimates, they're assumptions. They're not the truth. Yes, the House passed a budget to spend $1.6 trillion. That's not the whole bill, by the way. And this wonderful $20 billion in savings is, could barely be called a drop in the bucket. Check your facts, check your data, double check the, whatever you can, because it's only in context that we understand the data that we've been given. Now, hopefully you like the way I've explained what's been going on, meaning you'll come back and join us here at the Constitution Study every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time 
on America Out Loud Talk Radio, heard on the iHeartRadio network. If you can't listen then, that's fine. All of the shows go to podcasts generally a day or two after they're heard on the radio. You can listen to your favorite podcast app, but do me a favor, subscribe to the show. Uh, leave an episode a rating and a review. It helps other people find the Constitution study as well. It also helps spark interesting conversations. You get a conversation between people with different ideas. It's a wonderful way to engage in that process. You can find all the links you need at the homepage at americaoutloud.news. But please, I always ask you to share that information. Share the links, share the articles, share the podcast, share the stories. It's the act of sharing. It's the, it's the act of, of taking this information and exposing other people to it, to other ideas. That is the actual sharing of the blessings of liberty. <laughs>